All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain Swire Football Podcast 2018 Extravaganza Preview Series. I'm Jeremy Moss, Matt Kennerly. We are back doing this each and every week for you. Check us out, as always, mwire.com, Facebook, Twitter, what is it, MWC Wire, Mountain Wire. If you want to give us a buck at Patreon to get this podcast um, early, that's MWC Wire at Patreon. And how are you doing this evening, Matthew? I'll call you Matthew. Is that, is that okay? Matthew yeah, that's, that's that's my legal name. So yeah. Do you have a <laughs> Do you have a preference? Do you care? Uh, no, not really. I mean, most people call me Matt. It's more informal, but whatever. Okay, just wondering, because after all these years, it's like I always want Matthew, but he never calls me Matthew. But you know, but we should also maybe mention our subscription options up front because yeah. you know, for those of you, you know, a little bit off topic, real quick. I took a trip to London uh, over the past week and a half. And one of the things I noticed about our website over there is that our hubs for our block for Blog Talk Radio do not work for whatever reason. Hmm. You know, so the same way that you would access the podcast on the website is not something that's available over in Europe. So you mean the so, bottom of the page where we put yes. like the sign up for the newsletter, which I'm getting back into, but when I put the just the embedding the player, it's not available. Yeah, and I think it has something to do with that new EU law that I'm not totally familiar with. But long story short, better you're probably better off, no matter where you are, to subscribe to the podcast on any number of different platforms. Stitcher, iTunes, Pocket Cast. Spreaker. Yeah, all of those. Yes. So do that. And also, as yeah, so if we have any European friends who, hey, Chris Hall, are you listening to us over in Italy? Is he still coaching in Italy? I think so. Hey, coach, give us a listen to this show. Come on. How awesome would that be? But, yeah, subscribe to the podcast, all those other ways. Um, and, if, like I said, if you want to do this early and without any annoying ads we put in, you can do a bucket Patreon. That'd be awesome. But if not, you can still listen. helps us out. But, yeah, so any European friends, um, welcome, I guess, right? Did you spread the word we're out there in London about the podcast or anything? No, I was too busy nerding out on architecture and, and artwork and stuff like that. Also, um, what's up with you not knowing anything about Harry Potter? I have never read any of the books. I only saw the one movie with Eddie Redmayne, which I had no context for. Um, not that I'm opposed to it. I'm just mostly indifferent to the whole thing at this point. I hear you. I just can make that joke because I am i don't want, know it a ton about what Harry Potter is. My kid loves Harry Potter. I've seen about three of the movies. That's about it. So I was just curious. Mm-hmm. Should we get to football, I guess? That's what people are here for. Let's get to Nevada. Or Nev- Is it Nevada? Nevada. <laughs> no, because uh, we know Brandon's listening intently, and also our other friends who um, fake Matt Mummy better be listening right now because we're having a Q&A after this and test questions to test you about the podcast. Well, and also the real Matt Mummy now also follows us on Mountain West Wire, so hopefully he's listening too. Oh, he does? Also, Yeah, they, you know, bo- they both follow us real and fake. Hey, can we get Coach Harson to unblock people? <laughs> <laughs> Is that law in place where you can't public figures can't block people for First Amendment? Does that fall in blind? Is that official? I have no idea. Okay, we'll move on from that because I don't want to start yelling. Nevada football. So, for those who are wondering, um, myself, Jeremy here, we always do – well, I'm not going to give it away now, but let's just say this. Nevada fans, you're going to like my preview of the team. Very much so. That's so, what we in the biz call a tease. Tease. At some point, we'll talk about how good how good Nevada is as I'm pulling up my schedule for them. So, let's just give um, – so, no changes too much really, right? They same O.C., they have the um, Timmy Chang, wide receiver coach, sitting back out there who was high-flying QB over at Hawaii years ago. Mentioned Matt Mummy. You have um, 
all the great coaches there in town. You have everything going on. Um, defensive coaches, they're all back, right? Am I correct on that? Uh, yeah, Jeff Castile is back at, you know, with his 3-3-5. Just making sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they have everything back after year one, which the 3-9 record is quite deceiving. Let's just start up front when we get to schedule stuff later. But the second half of last year, we saw games where they were putting 45 on Colorado State. They're putting 40-plus points on all these teams. Yeah, is their defense that kind of just kind of putted out and failed them. So that's their big issue for 2018 if they're going to be a bowl team or maybe even better than the bowl team, like contending for some part of the conference or division title. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. But like the last, really quick, the last half of last year, they – Beat Hawaii, who was okay, not great, but it was a home game, which is a little bit different for the Warriors. They lose to CSU by two, lose to Air Force by three. They weren't they weren't competitive at Boise State at all. They smoked San Jose State, which is not very difficult. But yet they stick up. They put up twenty three at San Diego State, which is a pretty good accomplishment against that defense. Yeah, I mean, you could say it's a tale of either two or three seasons, depending on how you choose to slice the numbers. Because, you know, in September, obviously, of last year, the offense was kind of a mess in particular. You know, we remember them losing to Idaho State, for instance, mm-hmm. and then getting blown out on the road at Washington State. And then, you know, getting off to a rough start in conference play on the road at Fresno. But then, you know, in the middle of the season, you know, mostly through October, all of a sudden the offense clicked. You talked about that Hawaii win, those two close losses that they had against Colorado State and Air Force. And that was a three-game stretch where the offense was averaging more than seven yards per play. And then they, they took a step back a little bit. But in three of the last four games last year, they were still averaging over six yards per play. And so when you compare you know those numbers to where they ended up on the season you know on a per play basis on offense they ended up seventh in the conference which may not or excuse me um they ended up fourth in the conference but that number might be a little bit low just because of the fact that they played a lot better down the stretch on on offense to me you know the biggest question is you know the defense which gave up a lot of big plays last year and, you know, in those close losses, it was the defense that maybe let them down a little more than Wolfpack fans would like. How much of a step forward are they going to take? Because mm-hmm. while they finished fourth on a per-play basis last year, uh, on offense, they were sixth, but they were given up over six yards per play. Yeah, it'll be – because part of it, too, here's a couple of things with Nevada. The, I don't know what they're doing there with the coaching stuff. Like, they – Went to Kirk, was it Kyle Curtin? The Cayman Curtin is that his name? Yes. Yeah, the Green Cayman or whatever nickname we're calling. They're screwing screwing around with the quarterbacks at the beginning of the year. He decided to transfer. They're just all, it's just all willy nilly, which it does it never helps. You know what I mean? Like with Jay Norville, I don't know what the heck he's doing, but that just never helps when you go quarterback to quarterbacks. Because we saw with Colorado State a couple years ago when they had a fate in Balta, they had uh, Colin Hill, Nick Stevens, kind of flipping those guys around. It never works well, so I'm wondering. And then also, remember last year, they lost James Butler on the 4th of July. He was probably going to be, what, top, maybe the best running back in the conference almost last year, top three at worst. Probably in number, the conversation, yeah. Yeah, yeah, probably behind the um, pump with Rashard Penny. But he would have been up there, probably 1,200-yard rusher. He is gone, so they bring a new running attack, or running back with very little experience to bring up Kelton Moore. So a lot of things went wrong last year, but now if you think of it this way, going into offense, they know it's scanty. They have Kelton Moore, run, who did well running the ball last year. Guys like McLean Mannix, uh, Brendan O'Leary-Orange doing good things. It's more stable than it was. 
And so I think that's where like they're projected like maybe they're on the fringe of a being a bowl team this year, maybe top hundred S S and P plus right in that hundred range, hundred and one. Mm-hmm. I think they'll be better than that, and we'll get to that. But here's it like I it's just a thing. I think with stability is a big deal. Like when we talk to when we talk about Fresno State, when we talk about even Boise State from last year, this year, the quarterback situation on both teams wasn't great through the whole year. Because remember, Fresno transfer McMarion, he didn't play until really conference play. Boise State decided to go to Burt Ripon, Montel Cozart, kind of flipping guys around, even CSU a couple years ago. My point is, if you keep it st- stable, you're going to be better. And that's where I think improvement's going to be huge and maybe probably more than double their win total. I mean, I definitely think you're right because we kind of saw two Ty Ganges last year. There was the guy who was you know, a little more erratic in those early games. And then you know, by the time you get to October and November, you know, he ended up at 61% on the season. But in those last four games, he finished, you know, above, well above 60%. Like he completed 70% of his passes against San Jose State and 72 in the loss against UNLV. So his efficiency took a huge leap forward in the second half of last season. And so to me, you know, the biggest question regarding him is how much of those gains is he going to be able to hold on to? Because we've talked a little bit about how you know, what's the conversation like regarding the best quarterback in the Mountain West? And, you know, you can talk about Brett Rippon, you can talk about McMarion, but, you know, Ty Ganji, by some numbers, you know, has a very convincing argument to be the number one guy in the conference. But Thank you. Not... People are giving me crap for putting him number two and thinking number one in my post-spring rankings. So, But, you know, that's not to say that there aren't areas of improvement. You know, one thing that may have held the team back a little bit last year are his splits between the first half and the second half. And, you know, just one example, in the first halves of games last year, he completed 64% of his passes and he had 15 touchdowns against just 11 or excuse me, four interceptions. But in the second half of games, his completion percentage dropped by six points and his touchdown to interception ratio dropped to 10 to seven. So, you know, it may not seem like that much of a difference, but when you're looking at the close losses that they had later in the year, you know, we talked about Utah state and how many, um, you know, how many close losses. One in 12. Yeah. So if one of those, if, if he completes another pass or two down the stretch against the Rams or the Falcons, for instance, you know, they ended up losing three games, I think, by one score or less last year. Yeah, well, that's true. Like, those two losses near the end of the year, they had a couple of those. So, it's a, I think it more comes down to the defense taking a step forward more than the offense. Offense, mm. can, offense can be better because, like I said, they're middle of the pack in the arch per play. But with Malik Reed changing positions, maybe that'll help things out. But the defense just can't give up what they gave up last year, like 40-plus points. Like, I know the Rams' offense is really good. Air Force's offense can be really good, but them scoring 40 points is kind of a lot to allow to uh, run basically a team that runs 88% of their plays on the ground. Mm-hmm. And, like, we look at, like, rush defense, they're, what, four and a half yards per play, gave up, what, third most TDs in the conference and, what, 24, third, fourth worst. They gave up a lot of plays, and I think that's where, while the st- stability in offense, I don't – the offense can be – I don't know if it would be better, like, in yards – it can be better, yards per play, points per game, all that stuff. But in the second half – how much better better can it be than last year? Probably more efficient would be what they want to do. Yes, you want to be maybe top three in yards per play overall, but I think efficiency on offense is where they'll be better just because they're back around for another year and they know who's going to play what, what position. But, man, defense, they cannot 
be 11th in like yards per game. And they cannot be like in the bottom third of yards per play. Where were they? Actually, they're six. Never mind. But it's still over six yards per play. That's a first down every other play. Come on. I mean, I think when it comes to the offense, there's a couple of maybe more specific questions that they'll have to answer throughout fall camp kind of going into the season. One of those things is, you know, maybe I don't think it's something that we've been able to talk about because it's been one of the recent rule changes that the NCAA implemented. And that's the the tweaks that they made to redshirt freshman eligibility. That's right. We have not been able to discuss that. And it might be a good segue here just because of the fact that I'm, I'm looking at last year's running game. And obviously Kelton Moore is coming back and he was, you know, better than I think anybody expected him to be because he wasn't a very, you know, highly touted guy. But, you know, he came out, he ran for almost 900 yards and he had four touchdowns and he averaged over five yards per carry. Those are pretty good numbers. But one of the things I think will be interesting to see because, you know, I thought that there would be more of a committee approach last year. Yeah. And so one of the, one of the things I'm interested in seeing is that, you know, Jackson Kincaid is also back as well. And, you know, while he wasn't quite as efficient as Moore was, you know, I'm still expecting him to, you know, get maybe six or seven touches per game. But I'm almost wondering if this new eligibility rule will allow for more opportunities for someone like Toa Tua who was a very highly touted running back recruit that the Wolfpack were able to bring in this past year. You know, if they need him, I don't know, during their toughest stretch of conference play or something like that. Because if I remember correctly, the rule is that you can play in four games. Correct. While maintaining your redshirt eligibility. Yep. And so if you've got a guy as highly rated as Tawa <laughs> is, is supposed to be, kind of like a you know, bowling ball kind of running back, you know, if if there's a chance that they can carve a role for him, that would be something I'd be really interested in seeing. It would be because he's the highest rated recruit by far. He's, I don't know, because it's going to be more. The guy Kincaid, like they have two guys back there who are going to get, like, so going to get a decent amount of carries. I don't the like, Ganji. They run a little bit in this Nevada offense. She's not going to run a ton. Maybe like two or three hundred yards is probably like mm-hmm. what do you do with Blake Wright? Like I. Here's the thing with that new rule. You gotta be strategic to when you're gonna play these guys. Like that's I, true. I could assume he could see a de- Portland State. He could see a decent amount of carries. Just may not starting, but like second half, assuming Nevada doesn't pull on what they did last year versus Idaho State, get him some reps against that team, against that game, and then see how he does in practice. And because with these redshirt guys, your odds are you're gonna play these guys late or in the bowl game. That's my thinking of the rule, or FCS opponents, obviously. Besides that, maybe have them ready like they always are. But with this thing, like if there's an injury, bring a guy into play. Give him that game. It doesn't mm. matter what game. It gives you more depth than what you already had. And then also, I think a little bit too, psychologically, if you're like, oh, I'm going to register, I'm not going to play very much this year, or just just practice all year, you might work just, a, you know what I mean? You might work harder because, hey, you could go in at any time. Or the coach says, hey, week four, if you do this, this, and this, you're going to play at least 20 snaps week four versus T-Max. Like, they're playing Toledo week four. Who knows? They should be pretty mm-hmm. good. But usually their offense is good. But you know what I mean? There's going to be more incentive for guys to try harder when they're like true freshmen, like you're going to redshirt, and it'll give them a feel for the game. So I, it's just a new aspect. I would assume three games have to make a bowl game because you want these guys ready for bowl matchups. Mm-hmm. But – I don't know when, but I'd say Portland State could be going. Even like their first month is not very hard. Portland State FCS team, even though they're pretty good at Vanderbilt, they're not 
anything special. Oregon State was just dreadful last year. And then at Toledo, honestly, at Toledo is probably their toughest game. He could play three of the four games. And then maybe they don't even want to redshirt him too because he's so they realize he's that good, they'll just play him through. That's another hmm. consideration to do. If he plays that great and can outshine Kincaid or Blake Wright on the in the backfield, that's another reason this rule is I like this rule quite a bit because you could have guys who maybe guys are just really good in games. Like there's people who don't practice great but put them on the field and they just tear it up and gives you a chance to see that. Yeah, and I mean yeah, and, and the only reason I, I'm wondering about that, or, cause I, or maybe I'm projecting a little bit, because I think it would be exciting to see a guy like Tawa get some action like that. But one of the things that you saw last year was that head coach Jerry Norville did have a willingness to go to his young guys. And you know, there's probably no better example of that than, you know, if we could shift to the receiving core. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at someone who, like McLean Mannix, who, you know, came in and was fairly regarded as a three-star recruit. But all of a sudden, it seemed like he was making, you know, a downfield catch or two every single week. You know, it's nice that, you know, he's their leading receiver returning. And it's nice that he can, you know, give the offense some big playability. To me, the question will be, you know, if, if it's not Tawa on the ground, are they going to be able to find one or two more guys to kind of work into that rotation? Because they do have Mannix coming back, which is a positive. They do have Brendan O'Leary Orange coming back, which is, you know, he's probably an even bigger play guy on the whole. He averaged almost 16 yards a catch last year. But they do, they are going to miss Wyatt Demps, and they're going to need to figure out how to replace, replace his production, you know, because he did have over 900 yards last year. And, you know, while McLean Mannix is the best example of a guy, a young guy, a freshman stepping into a role, you know, it'll be interesting to see who that third guy eventually becomes. Is it someone like Diane Henley who had like 10 or 12 catches last year? You know, is it a more veteran guy like Dominic Christian? Or is, you know, someone like Caleb Fossum who transferred from Washington State last year? They're going to have options. But I think that what's going to be really critical to this offense's success is figuring out who that third guy is. Yeah, and it's a uh, and. They're excited of the two guys. Then Mannix had six, or not Mannix, excuse me, Dems had sixty, what, seven receptions last year, eleven TDs. That's a lot of production to replace. Yes. And with offense, they're gonna sling it around a lot more. They're gonna pass quite a bit, is what they want to do. And I I think they have guys back there, but like you if you look who's like if you look at like who's leading the team or receiving, they have like Kelton Moore is number five. You have running backs getting which is good, ten to fifteen catches a game or a season, excuse me. They need, like, look at the guys at the bottom. You see who's coming in, like, guys who played just a little bit, but the guys who never played, like, all, like you said, they play young guys. They have all these true freshmen, redshirt freshmen. Like, look at the true freshmen, like, recruiting numbers. Outside of, like, I guess uh, Justin Brandt, like I said, the super high, highly recruited guy, but these guys at the bottom, like Cole Turner, Romero, Dobbs, and Charles Ross are basically top five recruiting talent on this whole roster if you go by those numbers from 24-7. So mm-hmm. they have a ton of young talent, and then if they want to throw it out a lot, which I think they'll want to with Mummy's offense and Norvell, if they want to do sling it around, maybe it could be one of those guys, or maybe it could be an offense where you have just like Mannix and o- O'Leary Orange, maybe they re- step up where they've been at, and they have five guys who have like 10 catches. You know what I mean? Like five or six guys with 10 catches where they could just throw it all over the field. Yeah, because what ended up happening last year is they had – 
I'm counting them right now. They have four guys who had at least 20 catches. So I guess it wouldn't surprise me if it ended up being that kind of distribution again. And, I, you know, I overlooked Trevion Armstrong, who's, you know, listed as a tight end or a wide receiver, depending on where you look. But, you know, he's a big target at 6'3 and 230 pounds. So, you know, if you pair him up with someone like O'Leary Orange, who's 6'4 himself, you know, this has the potential to be a really exciting vertical attack. Yeah, I, that's, dude, go look at the Air Force game again. Go look at the CSU game. Ganges chucking it down the field. Mm-hmm. With him, like, I, it just, like I said, I think they, they don't lose much talent. So, again, it goes back to me, not to just kind of repeat, but they bring back good, pretty good talent, above average talent. And it's another year in the system. And the running game, I think it's going to be better just because they don't have to worry about in summer about crap. We lose James Butler. But if we move over to the O-line, they lose Austin Corbett. It's a huge deal. Drafted, what What was he, uh, 33 to, to the Browns? First pick of the second round. First pick of the second round. You lose him. You lose. You still have back, like, uh, Sean Kreps will be uh, probably a second team, all-Mountain West player possibly. Could be an all-league player. But they lose a bunch of starts. But they also have two guys back, like Jake Nelson, right tackle. Two guys back with 12-plus starts each. And then after that, it's like, well... I don't know. Maybe like Anthony Palmeros will step up. They they have enough talent there, but there's a lot of concerns when you lose a third of your off, a third of your offensive line. I mean, yes and no. I mean, the the bright side is is I think they have the entirety of the left side of their line intact. You know, because you mentioned um, you know you mentioned Sean Krebs in the middle. You mentioned Palomar as a guard, and I think Jake Nelson is supposed to switch from right tackle to left tackle. Possibly. But, he had 12 starts. It makes sense. But that's but this is another instance where, you know, a couple of young guys are going to have to step up. You know, the sophomores like Jermaine Ledbetter or Nate Brown Six, or something like that. 5'5", 325, Jermaine Ledbetter. <laughs> Big dude. Exactly. But this is another one of those instances where – they are I think they're ultimately just going to benefit from having recruited really well in the last couple of years yeah uh, we don't pretend to know online that great but if you have big guys and if you have returning talent like I said if that third if that left side is all set up in center you're you're golden right side you'll figure it out and you have other guys who played some games here and there who'd appeared in other career starts like I said with um, Palmeiras well, I already mentioned Palmeiras but they have enough guys who are sophomore retro freshman a little bit young which could be a slight concern but get them in there and play, see what happens. Put them all in versus Portland State. You know what I mean? That's the only concern. The depth could be an issue because they have a lot of soft. Like they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys who are reg- sophomore, retro freshman, or true freshman. That's a lot. Yeah, and I mean, and when you look at when you look at some of the the key numbers, what you from last year, it's 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 hard to say that there's going to be regression in one way or the other, because, you know, for instance, on third down conversions, they were right in the middle of the conference, just a shade below 40%, which is, you know, it's fine. Maybe they can improve a little, but I don't think it'll be the end of the world if they don't, as long as they take a step backwards. You know, I think one thing to keep an eye on is how well are they going to be able to protect against the pass? Because one of the things they were able to do really well last year was was you know keep pass rushers away from whoever was under center. They only gave up 16 sacks last year, and you know only six sacks in conference play. So we talk a lot about you know other O lines like Fresno State who really took a step forward last year. Let's not overlook the fact that Nevada did the same thing. 
So yeah, losing someone like Corbett's going to hurt. But I think that with the offense that they've installed, I'm, I'm really not expecting them to regress all that much. I think they'll be able to protect Ganji even with a couple new guys on the line. I think they're going to be able to generate a lot of big plays, especially through the air. And, you know, just opponents are just going to have to beware and be, and be ready for that. Exactly. So let's, um, should we go to the defense now? We let's, let's do it. All right. So defense is the, uh, safe to say concern. I guess the biggest news is that Malik Reed's change of positions. It's a pretty big deal. He is, um, what defensive end now up from being linebacker, which to be honest, that's not the way around. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, defensive line. Oh, wait, (laughs) you're right. Flip it around. But is that really that big of a position change? Do you think? I mean, I think in this three-three-five, it absolutely is because you don't necessarily have your hand in the dirt anymore, trying to put pressure on the on the quarterback. So with him, he's clearly their best defender. With that move, like we've kind of read up what he what he's been doing in that position. Like, I know the three-three-five is quite the difference compared to any other defense, unless well, I guess Rocky Long knows what he's doing all the time when he set that up, but. I think with what they're doing, making the position change and having this unique defense, they got basically to do, to me, it seems like not that they're throwing their hands up doing whatever, but it's something where make a pretty big change to hopefully it works. And maybe, right? That's all we can say right now. Sitting here in the summer, we don't know how much better it'll be. We're hopeful with Reed, who's a really good defender, making a change with the amount of talent that's coming back. I guess you can only be hopeful because it's like what I always say. Yeah, if you have a lot of returning talent, that's great. But how if it was bad talent, how good is it? You know what I mean? It's like, what's the who cares if you bring back ten of eleven starters if you're worst in the conference or worst in the country in any category? Oh, excuse me. I mean, I think it's the difference between asking him to be, and I'm trying to to reflect upon you know San Diego State for instance because they're the other team in the conference, one of the other teams in the conference that runs a three through five. It's the difference between asking him to be like an Alex Barrett or Sergio Phillips and asking him to be someone like, you know, a Jake Felly, because I don't think he's going to be, he's not going to be playing in the middle. He'll, I think he's slated to play on the weak side. So, you know, he'll still have plenty of opportunities to rush the passer. He's just going to be doing it, you know, at a different position. So, okay. Do you think he'll put up better numbers by making that change? Like, is the point to make, have a make the move so that they could put another defender who maybe play the same position to be nearly as good as him? I think the move was made simply because they have options on the line now that are a little bigger than he is. Yeah, because he's what, what 6'2", 250? 6'1"? Uh, I, I believe he's listed at 6'1", 250, yeah. Yeah, and that's not very big on the defensive line. I mean, yes and no. It kind of depends. It on depends. Outside, inside, yeah. 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 But, you know, they have dudes up front now who are more than, I think, ready to get their hands dirty in the trenches. You know, for one, they have a guy in the middle, Jarius McDade, you know, 300 pounds in the middle of that line. Maybe he's, you know, I think I think it's Noble Hall who plays the middle for the Aztecs, but maybe he could be that kind of guy for the Wolfpack, someone who, you know, takes on a couple of defenders and enables someone like Reed to put pressure on quarterbacks from the outside. And, you know, other recruits like, you know, Jordan Silva, Kalai Meyer, you know, guys who are fairly well regarded, or even the guys coming up behind them, like someone like Cameron Toomer, who was, I believe, a high three-star guy who saw a little bit of action last year. 
I don't know that they necessarily need one more guy to be able to create, you know, big plays like Reed because I think they have enough dudes up front now where they can kind of do it with a committee kind of approach. They could because we look at the size. Because another reason he moved is because NFL prospects. He's better at linebacker than D line, but it's a three three five. You disguise it quite a bit. Like he could still basically be a defensive end if they go to like a four three or disguise some sort of formation a little bit to mix it up. But mm-hmm. we look look at the other guys they have. Like like you said, they have. Uh, I'm gonna screw up this name. Hasuas Hasis. No, sorry. Hasua Sakona. Like 290, they have like Kaylee Meyer 290, you guys 325, 315, young guys. So you're right, the size part, but making the change and then everything overall, with him being as quick as he was, yeah, if you're a defensive lineman, he can just burn past the tackle or tight end. He, I think his number, like he, you're, I think you're right, he doesn't have to put a better number, but he won't have to put up, excuse me, better numbers because he only had 5% of the team's tackles last year. Like he had like only 38 tackles. He was more of a guy to get TFLs and sacks and a couple of like uh, force fumbles. Well, let's not forget they also have Corey Rush up front still too. Yeah. And he's a guy who maybe got overlooked a little bit just because of how productive Reed was. Mm-hmm. But Rush had nine tackles for loss and two and a half sacks himself from the end position. Mm-hmm. And But what I'm getting at, like with Reed, he could still be that guy on the outside because he's not going to play inside linebacker. Like that's the same. Like you don't move him from D line because he's gonna be a better NFL prospect or help your team with the speed inside linebacker. He's still gonna be kind of bigger outside. He can still do the same thing. So I could still see him getting maybe similar numbers, but open other things up for like I said, maybe for Rush, maybe for whoever else is gonna be in that that third guy in the defensive line. They have size. Like Sakona can take up space, just block and take up a center and maybe part of a guard. You have huge guys, and then if you go back to whoever's a linebacker, part of it too. They lose two guys who played last year quite a bit in linebacker and group, and that's a pretty big loss. Like, was it Travis Wilson and uh, Austin Paulus are gone as well? So you put Reed back there, an experienced guy, stick him there with Sewell, and then maybe it'll be like Lawson Hall, maybe DJ Poe, Kyle Adams, some guy. Maybe even, heck, you got guys who are highly recruited, the new rule, like Marquette J- Jackson. You have a lot of guys back there where the hope is maybe the guys who registered last year and the sophomore guys who didn't play much, maybe they figured it out a little bit, and it's still going to be tough. It's They have. Here's, I think, what they have. They have a couple really good guys on defense, but they don't have enough good guys to make up for. You know what I mean? Like, they have top-end talent for, like, three or four guys, but the rest are just, eh. And those three or four guys can't do everything. I mean, I I don't know that I necessarily agree with that, if only because, you know, kind of going back to the fact that they've recruited so well. You know, I think moving Reed from the line to the linebacking core kind of solves two problems that they might have otherwise had. And, you know, it's kind of a luxury simply because they've recruited so well. You know, they still have Sewell in the middle. You know, they move Reed to one other position. So all of a sudden you've got at least two established guys on the line and two established guys at linebacker. What's really going to matter is who they find to plug that that one in the middle, whether it is Lawson Hall or Jackson or someone. I believe uh, Giovanni Miranda has gotten a little bit of noise, even though he's not arriving till the summer. You know, all of those guys are fairly well regarded and all those guys give options. But what is really going to have to change with this offense even more than, you know, the front six, which, you know, all things considered, was not that bad last year defending the run. You know, they, in conference play, they took a little bit of a step back, but they were still 
again, middle of the conference when it came to, you know, yards per carry allowed. It was just a shade over five yards per carry, which is not great, but not bad. What's going to have to change is, you know, the, 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 the production against the pass because that was rough last year in a lot of ways. Well, so how, what makes you, you, besides recruiting, any other, because I know they're recruiting pretty well, like we mentioned quite a bit, which they have been. I'm go, I, I know I'm kind of higher on them more of the offense, the defense, but like what makes you confident just they could, like you, you sound more optimistic on defense than I do. Besides recruiting, like what can you, what do you see that says they're going to be better on defense because is it experience moving read around, maybe sticking with us three, three, five. Where do you see where you'll see? I'm, I'm like, you know, it's to me, it's more, I need to see it first this year just because they were so bad last year. I mean, I think I'm maybe a little more optimistic if only because I can see the plan that they're trying to put forward. Okay. And, and that plan doesn't work if you don't have the talent to make it work. And whereas a year or two ago, you might not have said that about this defense, you know, by, you know, by the end of the season, you might be talking about this as the top five defense in the conference. If really? The the young, defense if is, the, if the young guys can step up. Because if, if you put them at five, you got Boise, Fresno, San Diego State, Wyoming. They're going to be better than Utah State defensively, do you think? I think, well, I mean, I think we had this same conversation with Utah State, <laughs> Probably. if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> it makes sense. But, you know, the huge if is, are those young guys going to step up? And I think, you know, nowhere is that needed more than in the secondary. Because while the Wolfpack do have three guys coming back at safety who are, you know, pretty good in their own right. You know, they have Nepi Sewell coming back. They have Asani Rufus coming back from injury. They have, you know, Damian Baber, who you know, he's been known to make big plays in the past. Former freshman All-American Damian Baber. But this is still a pass defense that on the year finished dead last in the conference in opponent's pass, or completion percentage allowed. 66.9% of passes completed against them. You know, 24 touchdowns against just eight interceptions. And they were next to last in the conference in opponent's quarterback rating. So, you know, I'm, I'm more optimistic about, you know, young guys stepping up on the line. And I think they can find someone to plug the hole at middle linebacker. But they really need corners. <laughs> and I don't know who those guys are going to be, at least right now. And figuring that out, is going to be huge for this team. So what do you think the biggest step they'll take on defense? I, because obviously a lot of points, yards per play weren't great. If they're going to be successful, like the offense will be, they're going to put up points against anybody. I think even when they play San Diego State, Boise, Fresno, I think they can put up some points. Maybe not be a ton, but I think three touchdowns is easily done against those teams. Uh, I mean, easily manageable. I'll go that route. Not easily, but manageable. Mm-hmm. What like what do you see like what would be a success for you on defense just to be change their points per game from what were they last year there I should have it up here but like improved by touchdown points allowed last year or something like that like what would be something where you'd be because they're on the cusp of like maybe winning people say six maybe seven games so last year in conference play they gave up thirty three points per game too many just a little bit. I mean, it's it's great if you can score 30, but a little less great if you keep giving up 30 per week. Um, I mean, I think 
when you look at what they did on scoring offense on scoring offense last year, you know, they averaged 28 on defense. They averaged 33. I think if you could flip those numbers, that makes them a very dangerous team. So, okay. Cause they were only 28 points all year last year per game. What were the league play? Let's see here. In they, league play, they 32, 32.4. Yeah. So, so you say they score, say 34 and give up 28. I think if the, yeah. And I don't think it'll take that much. It just, you know, they're going to need to take a step forward on in, in pass defense almost by default, I think. But I do think that they'll be able to at least hold their ground when it comes to defending the run. I think so as well. I And I think, too, like, when you look at the secondary, they still have, like, a lot of guys who played games as well mm-hmm. who are returning. Like, they played so many people last year. Like, they have a lot of guys. And upperclassmen might as add as well, which is a big deal. Maybe these younger guys will come in, like Tyson Williams or high redshirt guys, or, like, maybe even Dominic Christian maybe – or, what? no, not him, excuse me. Justin Brent might come in and do something. Who knows, finally, <laughs> one of these years. But they had guys. They have, what, seven guys who played at least seven games last year? And so they have guys back there. It's, it still goes back to my thing. Got to have talent too. Who cares if you played? If you weren't good, it doesn't matter. You just happen to be able to play a lot because your team was stinky the year before. Mm-hmm. So I think they'll be. I think they'll be okay. But it's just like what I've been saying long, long this whole time. Like you got to actually show me that you improved. And that's my big concern defense. I think I, I agree with you. They have a vision in place. They make these moves with Reed, um, Chase, flip it, switch a few guys around. I just want to see it come into place and we'll get to the schedule in a momentarily, but I think their schedule will lead them or lend them the hand to play better right away or look better at least. I mean, let's put it this way. One thing, if, if they can improve one thing, I'll just point to this. You know, if you're familiar with football study hall, or even if you're not, you should go check it out. Defensive success rate last year. Do you want to take a guess where they ended up? Um, one, 19. They were 125th. And how many teams are there again in college football, FBS? Uh, this year, there I believe there are 130. Yeah, so they're near the bottom. So basically, just a real quick definition of success rate. 50% of necessary yardage on first down, 70% on second down, 100% on third and fourth down. So to rank 125th on defense in that category is not good and if they can just move into like you know i don't know the 80s i think that that would represent very substantial progress for this particular defense i think so too like if we look overall different stat here really quick like in yards per play they're 95th at 6.12 if they Mm -hmm. can get to just say three quarters of yard better five what 5.3 that would shoot them up to basically top half of the country top third Mm -hmm. like the 40s so that's not asking a lot to be 0.75 better yards per play allowed. And same yeah, thing I mean, for, like for success rate, that's like – it just means like when it's third and 10, a lot of teams are getting the 10 yards. Or it meant – it can mean two things. For them, it meant most likely teams are getting a lot of yardages on first and second down and making third down very short where the 100% of the yards could be third and one. And they're getting that continuously. So that's where – I don't know. It's just – just be a little bit better. And you'll be fine because I think the offense will take care of the rest because it's kind of a double boost there, I think, because defense should be a little bit better. And if the offense is what they did that's sick enough of last year, that should lead to a better season. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, long story short, 
there's questions on this defense, but there's also talent. And, you know, how well they answer those questions is going to determine where this team ends up at season's end. All right. Is there any special teams talk we need to discuss here? Because I always seem to forget that or not care. One of the two. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, they have okay special teams, which is you know more than some teams in the, in the, in the conference can say, you know, because Spencer Pettit's a pretty reliable kicker. He's kind of growing into his own. He was eight of 11 last year. And Quentin Conaway was fine. I think you maybe want to have him improve a little bit on his average because it was a shade below 40 yards per punt. But, you know, if they can find someone to, you know, return kicks who's a little more explosive, I think that would be nice. You know, Dayan Henley, who I mentioned before, you know, did average 23 yards per turn, but he did, you know, he did fumble twice, which is not necessarily nope. like the greatest thing in the world. Um, so, I mean, if he can be a little more secure with the ball, a little more explosive with the ball, you know, it's not a huge weakness. But it is something to keep an eye on going forward. Just no fumble and kickoff for punts. Because how, yeah. not embarrassing, but gut-wrenching is other team scores points, whatever, field goal, touchdown, and you fumble the ball at the other, it's your own 15-yard line. That could be like anywhere from like a 6 to a 14-point swing in like a matter of seconds. Yeah. So don't do that. All right, so let's take a uh, quick moment to hang out for a second and chill, and then we'll be back to talk about Schedule talk. Dun, dun, dun. All right, folks. Time to look at the Nevada Wolfpack 2018 schedule. Portland State victory. Move on, right? Is it that simple? Uh, hopefully it's a little more simple this time around, yeah. <laughs> Losing to Idaho State last year is not um, – just as, let's, let's just say not ideal, right? Yeah, don't don't do that again. Yeah, and Portland State is a decent FCS team. They play on the Big Sky, like they play like the Eastern Washington, Weber State, who are pretty good teams. I think they're in the same division. Are they in the Montana Montana State Conference as well? Is that all the Big Sky? I believe so. So yes. they play some good teams. So just um, just be careful, Wolfpack. Don't take anything for granted. I think that's the simple answer to say, right? Because off of last yes. year's three win season, so victory. Then I think, like seriously. They could be. Is it too far to say they could be four and zero in non-conference play? Is that too much to ask? Well, let's put it like this: <laughs> you could just tell me no. Besides giving your log with the answer, <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I mean, I'm not going to say that it's impossible, but I'm also not going to say that both of their road games in non-conference play at Vanderbilt, at Toledo, or walks in the park, because at least by S and P Plus, you know, they have, you know. They have Nevada at at 30% to win at Vanderbilt, 21% to win at Toledo. Yeah. So not not impossible, but not easy either. I would rank, I'd accurately say Toledo's are the toughest non-conference game. You think so? Yeah. Why, you like Vanderbilt more than Toledo? I mean, I think what Vanderbilt has going for it is they have a very tough defense. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and obviously they're never going to be confused with like an SEC powerhouse or anything like that. Or an SEC team. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh well, didn't they win a bowl game last year, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, I'll look into that while you continue. Or, or maybe they didn't, but they did go five <laughs> and seven. Jay Cutler, come on, Jay Cutler. <laughs> Smoking Jay Cutler. 
but you know, it, and Vanderbilt's not the greatest team in the world, but I do think that they have some individual talents that, you know, Wolfpack fans will probably want to get familiar with by then. Cause they do have at least one quality linebacker in Charles, Wright Who could you know wreck things if you're not careful, you know, cause he had nine sacks last year, you know, Dare Odeyingbo had four and a half sacks and, you know, I think what's ultimately going to happen is, you know, can Vanderbilt's offense slow down Nevada's, or excuse me, can Vanderbilt's defense slow down Nevada's offense? Or let me you know, just, is, let, let me is Nevada's defense going to be improved enough to, to take down what is essentially just not a very good Vanderbilt offense? Because if, if they're going to win this game, that's how they're going to do it. Because they do have a pretty decent quarterback coming back in Kyle Shermer. Mm-hmm. But that's it. Can I, <laughs> I, mean, point? They, I mean, they don't really have much returning production back at running back. You know, Kashawn Vaughn and you know Jamari Wilkfield combined for less than 300 yards last year, and roughly like I think three and a half yards per carry. And their leading receiver only caught 37 passes and only had 600 yards. So there's a lot of question marks on that side of the ball for the Commodores. So. You know, I think it'll ultimately it'll be a little bit closer than a lot of people expect. Let me point to one game last year where I say why Nevada wins. Okay. Saturday, September 30th, Gainesville, Florida. <laughs> they lose 38-24. to <laughs> Two things in that, honestly. You, first off, you give up 38 points to Florida, who has, like, no offense to speak of. Mm-hmm. But, but then again, they somehow scored 24 points against a pretty good defense. So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going out with that game. But I would just say if you give up 30, 38 points to Florida, you're not very good. And I can ask Brandon this for sure because we'll talk later. A Nevada writer who also likes Florida Gators. Nevada's offense is better than Florida's offense. 80% of the country is better than Florida's offense. Yeah, I guess that's probably true. But I'm going victory. I'm doing it. I'm pulling the trigger. I mean, I could see that argument. I think that they may have a little, you know, a few fits and starts when it comes to moving the ball against this defense. For sure. But, you know, if the defense takes the step forward that I think that they will, I really don't see a reason not to call it a win, too. Just because, you know, Vanderbilt's got a little bit of talent on the offensive side of the ball, but I don't think it's going to be enough to keep up with the Wolfpack. So I have that as a win, too. Excellent. Then they go to Oregon State, uh, no, host Oregon State, who's still complete garbage. I'm almost just want to say move on and say victory, but that's probably not the safest play to make against this team. But Oregon State, they're just awful last year. They haven't been good since Mike Riley was gone. Sean Mannion, they've had what um, Gary Anderson's their coach, and he's kind of quit last year. Who's your coach now? Who'd they hire? I forget. Anyways. Uh, They hired Jonathan Smith. The most nondescript name ever, John Smith. <laughs> John Smith, yeah. <laughs> former former Oregon State quarterback, so he does have some familiarity with the program and its challenges. I just don't think – the way they were t- so terrible last year, I don't see that much improvement for this team. And they go to Reno, and I know it's kind of sad. This game's on ESPN3, which kind of stinks. Most people can get that, but just kind of a uh, Big 12 team coming to town. Not even ESPN News wants to pick up the game. <laughs> That's saying something, right? That's telling to me when that when that's how the game's already picked up in 
June or May, whatever, whatever it was announced. It's on streaming only. Yeah, well, can I just take a moment to personally thank Oregon State for making the wrong choice at quarterback? Yeah, that's right. No problem, Marcus McMarion. Now in um, the Valley. Because Jake Luton is is big. He's very tall. Does have a very strong arm. But, you know, I, I remember watching that Colorado State game last year, and it didn't always seem like he knew what to do with it. Like overthrows? <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't have Ryan Nall coming back this time around to really carry the load on the ground. They're actually losing four of their top five running backs from last year. Let me ask you this, because I'm, pre- I'm predicting victory, predicting 3-0. and Let's get an eyebrow raise from anybody in the Pac-12 across the country that Nevada's 3-0. I mean, I mean, I guess I would have to say yeah, if only because they won three games all of last year. And I guess they beat technically two Power Five teams. Well, they're not technically Power well, Five sorry. teams. They are Power Five okay. teams. Let me see this. Possibly the two worst Power Five teams in their respective conferences. Still counts. I'm just saying. No, I know. I'm just saying. I'm sorry to downer, but uh, not technically right, but. People will say it doesn't matter. They'll say, oh, you beat two teams at Power 5. That's pretty good for Nevada. And they could be sitting at 3-0. and They might get a couple of votes in the polls, but are you going victory over the Beavers? Yes, all? I am. All right, we go to Toledo, which, like I said, is going to be their toughest non-conference game of the year and their final one. Sit 3-0. They go to the Glass Bowl, um, play in Toledo, who uh, no game time, no kick yet. I'm assuming this could be a CBS sports game. It could be... ESPN because you got Maxion over there as well, but Toledo is a they still they do not have um shoot I should have had this up in front of me I doing too many things this week they lose quarterback Logan Woodside obviously that's what I was getting at. I was thinking of somebody else but he's gone that's a big deal right he was a pretty good quarterback twenty eight touchdowns eight picks thirty eight hundred yards their offense lends it to be, lends it to be whoever's going to step up should have a lot of opportunities to play well. And it's going to be – I don't know who's the starter is going to be. Maybe it's uh, Mitchell Gudagani. Maybe it's one of the other young, younger guys. But here's the thing. We know offense will put up some points. And this is going to be the first real test for this defense to know if it's gotten better. Yeah, I think it's either going to be uh, Gudagni or Eli Peters who transferred from Illinois. But, you know, regardless of whoever's under center, I think what's important to keep in mind is they have a lot of offensive – talent coming back pretty much everywhere else on the offense you know they do have two running backs and Shakeep Seymour and Art Tompkins who not only averaged six yards per carry but had about 1,350 yards between them last year so even though they're losing their leading rusher in Terry Swanson maybe not as big a deal as you might think it is and and Oh, by the way, they're returning maybe the best receiving core in the MAC conference, or maybe just the MAC because that's redundant. <laughs> you know, we and we, we've seen what this offense could do before. Deontay Johnson's oh, back, yeah. John Vay Johnson's back, Cody Thompson's back. All three of those guys averaged over 16 yards per catch last year. Well, jo- Thompson so, missed last year. Y- yeah. So, I mean, this is going to be a track meet, I think. Exactly, because last year's pretty good game, and Nevada kept it close. But this could be um, started to bring this up. But Toledo, it was Toledo who came into Fresno and came back from like thirty-four-zero deficit, right? Something like that. 
No, that was Tulsa. Oh, Tulsa. Sorry, I, I still bring, I bring up the bad Fres- memory. Anyways. Fresno had <laughs> Fresno had gone to Toledo the week before and got their heads kicked. In. Okay, sorry, uh, but I think this this could be an under the radar game that'd be very exciting because it should be lots of points because Toledo's defense is eh, it's just okay and they lose a lot of talent as well. They have most of their secondary back or all of their secondary back, I should say. They lose their top two linebackers, top three defensive linemen. And they also, one thing, too, which could help Nevada, their top three linemen are gone, offensive side. Two all-MAC players are gone as well. And three mm-hmm. guys who had 20-plus starts. So that they have a lot of guys coming back, a lot of upperclassmen waiting in the wings to step up even a transfer from Florida State on the offensive line. This will be a game, definitely watch, one of the more exciting games, I think, of that week. I don't have my entire schedule, but I got to say Toledo's going to win, but it's going to be one heck of a game. Yeah, I'm definitely with you. I mean, I think it'll be, I think it'll be fairly close. I don't think Nevada is going to struggle in the same way that they struggled to move the ball on offense last year. But you know, new quarterback or not, I do like Toledo's offense just a little bit better than Nevada's. So I have this one as a loss as well. Okay, will the over under be seventy five points? Um, yeah. I mean, if it, if it were 75 points, I would take the over. Let's put it that way. Will it be more than 80 combined points scored? I don't know about that. So between 75 and 80? Something like that, yeah. Here's one more confidence boost where they might be able to win a game. They host Miami Hurricanes week prior at home. And they almost beat Miami last year. They did. So that just, that just could be one little – that could be something to look into because it's a little bit tougher opponent, more like the – you get beat up a little bit playing a bigger team with bigger players. Well, sort of. I mean, sort of. More depth a little bit. But it's early in the year. So that could be something to look into as well to say, hey, Nevada playing Toledo, who played Miami week before. That's just something to look out for because you never know how teams play after coming up, especially if they beat Miami, which is a real possibility. If they, like, oh, they beat the Hurricanes, and I got Nevada, who are they, even though they could be 3 0. There could be, and then they play Fresno a week after on the road, which is, you know, top 25 team possibly, won double digit games last year. Nevada is a decent spot to maybe pull off the upset, but I, I think it will be closer than what they're saying right now, but I still got to go Toledo. Yeah. All right, and then we already talked about. Oh, we have, have we discussed Air Force this year already? No, we did not. We have so, not. I thought we did. So, Air Force, interesting. It's on the road game. It's on the road. I was going to say on the road game, which makes no sense. Uh, this will be a game. I don't think Nevada is going to win this one, partly because it's a road game, back-to-back road games. I don't think their running defense is going to be up to snuff to stop the Falcons, even though last year was a freaking amazing game between these two teams. What's really interesting, and I didn't realize this until I looked back at the numbers just now, this is a 50-50 game. What? Win uh, probability, 50%. S&P Plus? Yes, yes, sir. Here's why I don't buy that. Air, because what S&P Plus and FPI and all those things take into consideration a lot is returning talent. And Air Force is the exception in that where they could lose a ton of talent and still be fine because what the system they run, the JV football they run, they just plug and play guys. Well, that's what the numbers say. I would still give Air Force quite a decent edge. I mean, I think that you know Air Force is kind of resetting – yeah, kind of, I would. I guess I would say again on defense this year. So you know, while they may be the exception in a lot of ways, I don't know that they're necessarily going to catch Nevada's defense at you know the same kind of low point that they did last year. Because you know, yeah, they beat them up on the ground, 
But, you know, if with the moves that the Wolfpack defense is making this time around, I'm not expecting that to happen again. So, you know, it was a close game last year. I'm definitely not going to be surprised if it's close again this year. But I have this one penciled in as a Nevada win. Oh, so you're having Nevada. Are you at 5-0 and at the moment? No, I'm at 4-1. and What was your loss, Vanderbilt? Toledo. Oh, I thought you said Toledo victory. Oh, I missed that. What if they were five and zero? Would they be ranked? <laughs> I bring this up every show. If it needs like four and zero, five and zero, six and zero. I mean, I think it's a fair question. Um, my first instinct is to say no, but I do think they would be getting also receiving votes. Okay, but you have them to beat in the Air Force. I I didn't realize it's fifty fifty. I think they could beat them. I just I don't. I'm not the, that confident they could go on the road again. And well, maybe I shouldn't be because of what they, what they did last year. But I'm gonna go lost right now. So sorry, Wolfpack fans, but that's the case. Then they host Fresno State the week after. Yeah, this is the most difficult stretch of the schedule. It, yeah, if we look really quick, take a moment um, to pull up their schedule here to kind of proceed ahead. They have um, <coughs> well, even I guess going back to the Toledo game, we could start there. At Toledo, at Air Force, back to back road games. Clearly, Fresno at home, Boise at home. Go to Hawaii and then back home to San Diego State. So, is, should we just talk about maybe October as a whole? Yeah, let's those do that. Ne- those next four games. Oh, for sure, because they could go zero and four. That's a distinct possibility. Because even though I don't think Hawaii is going to be great this year, just who they're playing, getting beat up by playing. Think of it this way: they're going to play a pass happy offense in Toledo. They're going to face a heavy road game versus Air Force. They're going to play more of a pro-style team versus Fresno and Boise State. Hawaii's wide open, run and shoot, and Aztecs are pro-style, run more run-heavy than any of those other teams. And that's, that's, this is one of the more... Here's the thing, too. It's possibility. Fresno, Boise, and San Diego State maybe could be ranked during that stretch at some point. It's brutal, isn't it? They could be playing three top 25 teams in conference play. I mean, I think it helps that they get all three of those games the the at home this time around. For sure. Because last year they lost at Fresno by 20. They lost at Boise by 27. Mm-hmm. And they lost at San Diego State by 19. But, you know, the question is, you know, the offense really scuffled in all three of those games last year. So for me, the question is, you know, going up against basically the three, maybe three of the four best defenses in the conference. What reason do we have to believe that things will be different this time around, considering the defenses in question? I'll say it's at home. That plays a part. Because I remember reading something a while back. Nevada has one of the biggest home field advantages in the country, which is a little odd. But here's the thing, too. Boise brings back nearly everybody in offense. All these teams bring back a ton of talent. Fresno brings back nearly everybody. Boise brings back nearly everybody and has one quarterback, even though they lose like Van Der Esch and receiving core is still up in the air a bit for the Broncos. But they've proved that guys coming back like A.J. Richardson and just returning talent, they benefit the doubt for the most part. Aztecs, yeah, new running back, but Christian Chapman's back for another year. Defense is going to be great. Guys like Parker Baldwin, Tariq Thompson, and they bring back the whole offensive line. And Juwan Washington's played enough to like without breaking a sweat, get 1500 yards this year. And so I think I, the reason I think it'll be different is I think Nevada is going to be better overall, more balanced and more efficient on both sides of the ball. 
but they could still lose to each team by double digits and wouldn't surprise me. It is interesting that you bring that up, if only because you know, last year all three of their wins were at Mackey Stadium. And on a per-play basis, you know they were much tougher at home than they were on the road last year. On the road, they gave up almost seven yards per play. And at home, it was only 5.3. And maybe some of that had to do with the competition that they were facing because, you know, Boise, San Diego State, yeah, all road. They all had all had pretty good offenses last year, and they're all road games. So, so maybe they won't necessarily have that same kind of split this time around. But maybe that is something worth keeping in mind. It's, uh, but what, what's your record in that month? Are they going to win just a Hawaii game? Because that's what I have. I have them only beating Hawaii. I do too. Yeah, if I'm being honest. Dang. So after that fast start, I'm you're sitting there four and one. Loss, loss, loss. So I have them at three and four at this point. Or actually, no, sorry, three, no, four and four. They have four and five, excuse me. Then at the end of the season, they have a bye week finally, which is, geez, lucky. Then they get the next tough team, Rams, at home. <laughs> and so this will be – we already talked about this Colorado State Rams. So we're not going to do too much in this game. I predicted a Nevada victory then when I talk about the Rams. I'm going to obviously pick it now because I'm sticking with my picks here the reason I say that because I still don't trust our Rams defense. That's kind of what my CSU preview was about. And that's why I think Rams weren't, aren't, aren't going to have enough. I think the points could be there like last year a little bit, but depending what KJ Carter Samuels does for the Rams and everything, but I just got Nevada victory because they're back at home off week and they can move, they can move the ball against this Rams uh, team Colorado state Rams. Yeah. And for those of you who didn't listen to the Rams podcast, I also have this one as a Nevada win. Boom. For a lot of the same reasons. <laughs> no need no need to repeat myself, exactly. I guess. All right, at San Jose State, victory, right? Fair? Safe? Yeah. 70% chances of – this is the um, – outside of the Portland State game, this is the next most likely game for them to win. Yeah. So, yeah. And then they go to UNLV for the Canyon, the, the Fremont Canyon, Canyon, which I'll finally say it. It is the best trophy in college football and college athletics. Nothing comes close, right? You won't hear any argument from me. I will take your side 100% for sure. Even though Fort Bridger Rifle is pretty cool. I did talk with our buddy Daniel Connolly about the conflict <laughs> just because <laughs> we were talking about UConn and Boise and because that's the UCF UConn trophy. We talked about that. Uh, we got some good trophies, but what? The, I guess the next biggest trophy is the Wagon Wheel, Utah State BYU, but that's mm-hmm. like a third of a cannon. <laughs> huh. You're missing a few parts to that, right? It's just not a cannon. Yeah, there's that too. It's not. What would be, what would top a cannon? Like, can the Air Force have like a jet or something be a trophy? Um, I mean, I'm sure they could if they really wanted to. Like a drone or something? I don't know. What would be? I have, I have no idea. <laughs> you think the Armed Forces could have something a little bit, not Commander in Chief is awesome, cause, but I'm just trying to think of something bigger. Like what's bigger than a cannon? Not much. A drone? Maybe, but drones are small. Well, not necessarily. A Hummer? Uh, yeah, maybe. Let's go with that. <laughs> the Blackhawks helicopter? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so they go to they go to UNLV, which I think UNLV, we'll, we'll get to talking about them at some point this off, this off season. This could be another game where there could be points upon points upon points. Because if Armani Rogers at UNLV does what we think he can do, Charles Williams, Lexington Thomas – the receiving group they have, if the defense steps up, they maybe make a stop. But 
this um, possibly um, outside of the Toledo game, this might have the second most points on their schedule by combined uh, between the two opponent, two teams here on the uh, Nevada schedule. I mean, I'm still pretty certain that UNLV kind of gave this game away last year. Still thinking about that one? I'm still thinking about that one. <laughs> hey, it's good. This game's a final finale, so that's always a plus, right? Yeah, because, I mean, it was one of those games where, you know, Armani Rogers had kind of a rough go. You know, he had three sacks. He completed right around 50% of his passes. You know, no interceptions, but, you know, they didn't really finish drives in the same way that they sometimes or rather often had last year. And so, you know, it ended up being a one-score loss for the Rebels last year. And while, you know, I do think both of these offenses are going to be able to get after it, you know, for me, I do think that UNLV will probably take this one this year. Because it's at home? Yeah, I think that'll definitely be part of it. But I do think that the running game especially will be able to get on track in a way that it didn't really in last year's game. Because for as explosive as, you know, Lexington Thomas and, and Rodgers were on the ground last year, you know, Thomas only had 63 yards and only had 4.2 yards per carry. Rodgers was you know right around three and a half yards per carry so they weren't making they weren't creating explosive plays in the same way that they often did on the ground last year and for me it's kind of a stretch to expect that to happen twice in a row hmm. i don't know you make a good point the running game is where because nevada's rush defense is just terrible last year i i still think i'm, I'm still high in nevada i'm go. i think nevada's offense will do will be plenty enough to take care of the Rebels' defense. And All right. that puts me – here's your predicament I'm in. That puts me at them – your record seven and 7-6 as well, correct? Uh, let's see. One, two, three. Five. I have five losses, so that would be 7-5. and five. Oh, why do I have 7-6? Three, four, five. Six. Oh, sorry. I My pen, my typing is not good. So I have 7-5 and five as well. We just differ on a couple things here. The uh, Was it uh, Air, Air Force game, right? Uh, yeah, you had that as a loss, right? Yeah, I do. Okay. So here's the weird thing. I like Nevada a lot. Like, 7-5 like, oh, you don't like Nevada? You're terrible. What do you mean? You hate, you said beginning of the show you'd love Nevada. Here's the thing. That stretch in October is very – like, I put it up, put up against anybody in the country, anybody in the country pretty much. In league play, that stretch, that month is probably one of the toughest anywhere. I don't care what league you play in, non-conference play, league play or not, that's going to be one of the tougher ones in the country by any team. Even though Hawaii is not very good, that's a huge travel to get to Hawaii, sandwiched in between Boise, San Diego State. I think, like, I, I said Nevada, like, they're my dark horse. Like, to, we talked about this a few months ago and after the 2017 season. I still think Nevada has a chance to be this dark horse team to make some noise and maybe even win the division. Like, we're picking a team that's, like, non-San Diego State, non-Fresno, non-Boise. I immediately said, put Nevada for me as a team that could win the conference. That's not one of those three. Like, better than Utah State, uh, better than Colorado State, better than a lot of these teams. Mm-hmm. If they're going to do that, like I said, here's the thing. They could beat Toledo, maybe. They could beat Air Force. Like, if they're going to do that, they have to beat Air Force for sure. That puts them at – here's the thing. If you lose – if your losses are only, let's say they even beat Toledo. If your losses are only to Fresno, Boise, and San Diego State, that's pretty freaking good. And you're finishing third in the division at eight and four or nine and three. <laughs> it's like, what else can you do? You know what I mean? It's like there's you got to be one of those two teams. I think if 
if they're going to be any of those three teams, like when you look at the numbers, their best chance is surprisingly, is it surprising you San Diego State is the best chance they have of beating those three teams? I mean, I don't know. Maybe like, a little bit. Because the way it's ranked real quick, it's Boise the most difficult, Fresno, than San Diego State. I mean, the only reason it surprises me a little bit is because oftentimes last year, and, and we'll talk, we'll probably talk about this more when we start talking about Fresno State, but Fresno State often had a tendency, especially early in conference play, to, to really take their foot off the gas on offense. Um, and, you know, the Nevada game, oddly enough, last year was one of those instances where, you know, they had the game in hand fairly early and you know nevada didn't really have what it took to, to mount a comeback but they weren't really making any efforts the bulldogs were to try and move the ball that much and so you know while i'm expecting the offense to look a little bit different act a little bit different this time around i guess it does surprise me a little bit that i mean i don't know because we kind of know what san diego state's offense is even without rashad penny True, but I but I don't know that that's necessarily the case for Fresno at this point. So what? So what's your answer? What's the most likely team they could beat amongst those three? Is it Fresno? I think off the top of my head, it probably would be. Yeah, if only because we've seen you know we saw Fresno last year in the UNLV, especially the UNLV game, especially. You know when you catch them on an off week, you know they're you know, good defense, but the offense makes them eminently beatable. You know, when it comes to trying to beat San Diego state, what we saw last year was it really takes either kind of a Herculean offensive effort, like in the bowl game against army, or they really kind of have to falter on both sides of the ball on offense and defense. Like they did against uh, Boise state. I think like Fresno is the easy answer just because part of it is it's still, People are kind of like, prove it to me. It was one year, the big turnaround, whereas we know Aztec's defense has always been very good, above average. They bring that offensive line back, and then Boise State's always, doesn't matter who they lose, they're always going to be a team that wins 10 games. Nine games is considered a massive disappointment for them. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess it's, it's is a Fresno, but here's the thing. Fresno's defense might be better than all those. That's true. And like we'll talk about Fresno before, Marcus McMarion, We'll have a full offseason, full spring, full camp, not coming in the last week of August and hanging out during non-conference play. And so he could, like, they could have the best quarterback and the best defense in the conference and the best receiving group as well. And so you're telling me that Nevada's defense can hang and stop them a couple times, hold them to field goals or turnovers. Maybe Damian Baber gets a, something, a big play, uh, Marie Reed or, yeah, or Malik Reed gets a forced fumble that actually goes into a turnover for easy points. That's a lot to ask if, for. If they fall into being conservative like they were at times in conference play last year. I don't think you could play Nevada, what, knowing how explosive they can be. You could, you shouldn't be. But then again, we saw them do it against Boise State and other teams and league players. Like, well, we're, 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 we're comfortable with this slim seven-point lead, one-possession lead. We're cool with just running on third and ten or something. Yeah. I guess I'll say Fresno because of that, but talent-wise, I like if we go like uh, that aspect, I would say – Fresno, easiest, San Diego State, Boise State. But if you go by talent, Fresno should be the toughest to beat out of all those. I mean, I think if we're going by talent, you'd switch Fresno and San Diego State. I mean, who for the better? Or I still think Boise State would be the toughest to beat. 
even just going off of talent only? Oh, yeah. Okay, interesting. I say Fresno, so. But uh, it's weird. Like, I, th- I think it's most could be the most likely win, but also that's the toughest team to go against. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you perceive an upset coming? If you were to pick a, to conclude this section, is it Fresno State? If they're going to get an upset win, it's going to be good Fresno State? I think so. I think it could yeah. be. Here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to be. I can. I can. I see where you're coming from, but I'm going to go San Diego State. And hear me out. Okay. I know Aztecs can put up some points at times. Remember when they beat Fresno? Was it last two years ago, seventeen to three? When Fresno mm-hmm. was terrible. That if that Aztec team shows up, that's where Nevada could come in and do something because Nevada will just move the ball, move the ball, move the ball. And just do uh, point upon point upon point. You know what I mean? Like, there's a mm-hmm. chance for that to. That's where I think it could be Aztecs because San Diego State could. I don't think they can keep up if it's a track meet. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair argument. So that's why I'll go San Diego State. So, the, so here's the thing: if they're going to win the division somehow, they have to obviously beat tiebreaker scenarios Fresno or Aztecs. But uh, I'll go. I'll go Aztecs because if it gets into a lot of points, I don't think San Diego State can keep up, even though. Chapman, senior QB, they still have a few receivers out there who are okay, but that's my that's my reasoning. If it's upset, it's going to be Aztecs. But at most, you're probably just going to win one of those. Yeah, I think you're probably right. All right, so anything else you'd add about the Wolfpack here? Well, do you think Wolfpack fans should be satisfied with a seven-win season? Yes, more than double the wins from the year before. I think you're probably right. I'd say bowl game is where I – like the – Honestly, I think it should be minimum bowl game for them. Is that too much? Is that too high of a ceiling or floor? I should say. I mean, I don't think so. Because I mean, like, I think I think they'd have a right to be a little bit disappointed if they end up five and seven. Let's put it that way. Like if they if they falter against someone like Air Force or Colorado State, let's say they you know they lose both of those games, even though I think they're going to win both of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's okay at that point to maybe feel a little bit disappointed, but at the same time. You know, this is a team that is building toward a lot of promise. So even if it doesn't come entirely into fruition this year, you know, in the next year or two, they're going to be even more interesting. For sure. That's what I'm thinking. Like, like to not get to bowl game, which I'd still say is probably six wins. Is pro- I, yeah, I think bowl, bowl game is where the baseline should be this year. Just because you got the excitement for end of la- end of last year. You got your QB, you got the offense going, you got it rolling. But then again, you can't stumble against like Oregon State somehow. Like for like what we picked, like Vanderbilt, I think it should be a reasonably easy victory for the most part. But like it's a, it's a road games. Like you said last year, every game at one was at home. They go to Toledo, winnable game, but on the road at Air Force, winnable game on the road. Well, Toledo not so much, but you know what I mean. But like Air Force going to Hawaii is difficult, and if they're new offense, that's tough. San Jose State should be fine at UNLV rival game. They should be about UNLV and Nevada should be about the same level this year. So there's a couple they gotta win those toss up games and win the road games. Or to to put it another way, you know, I have them winning four different road games. And that's something they've only done once in the last five years. Good pull good stat there. Yeah. So even if they, you know, end up falling short against what we would presume to be the conference's elite at home this year. You know, if they can take that particular leap forward, I think that's still a pretty significant leap. I will say this. Hawaii might be the linchpin of getting the ball game or not. 
because you're sandwiched you be- in between those very difficult games. It's a game you probably should win, but it's also a sort of a rival game they played in the what the whack and other yeah, just a whack, I guess. They go back. And Rolovich, all that stuff, yeah. There's those type of things involved on the Hawaii side. And so that game could be the difference because if my prediction comes to fruition, they're three and Heck, they could lose to Vanderbilt, but let's just say they're three and That's a one, two, three, four, five, six game losing streak. They have to win out. CSU, not easy. At UNLV, not easy. San Jose State should be fairly easy. So I think the Hawaii game is going to be if they win that, they're going bowling. If they lose it, they're out. I think that's a fair argument. Excellent. All right, so I think we're done here. Good. Just what you asked for, 70-plus minutes almost. Oh, no, 75 minutes of your uh, podcasting uh, drive-in to subway ride-in, train ride-in, bike ride-in, run ride-in to work, whatever you're doing. So thanks for hopping out with us, everyone, this evening. Or whenever you listen to us, we love it. MWR.com. Check out our website. Our top 50 list is this close. You can't see, Matt, but my finger is this close, about a half an inch apart of happening. we got to crunch the numbers and put it together. And let's just say this. Um, well, no, I won't say this because it doesn't pertain to Nevada, so I'll leave that as a secret. Check my Twitter for some hints about the top 50. So Spreaker, iTunes, Stitcher, um, anywhere you can get podcasts or sold, give us a download and subscribe and listen, right? Yes. All right, until next time. And also, um, we don't know the team at the moment, so follow us on Twitter, MWC Wire. Want me or Matt, we'll put up a poll. Um, are we going to go West Division again since we've been so mountain-heavy the first month? Yeah, let's do it one more time. So it'll be a West Division team next time, and just so stay tuned on Twitter. And uh, next time, folks, until then. <laughs>